0: Welcome to Positive Disintegration, A Path to Authenticity. Today we're talking with fellow podcaster Sophia Ellicott from the Our Gifted Kids podcast, which Chris and I were lucky enough to be a guest on last year. We're talking about all sorts of things, learning about Dabrowski and positive disintegration, neurodivergence, giftedness and its challenges, and dark inner journeys and difficult emotions that are a normal reaction to the world sometimes. We talk about education, policy, parenting challenges, Importantly we also talk about storytelling, podcasting and the value of sharing personal experiences. We cover so much ground in this conversation but it all comes back to sharing of ourselves. Sharing so that people understand one simple message. You are not alone. listeners and welcome back to another episode of Positive Disintegration, a framework for becoming your authentic self. I'm your host Emma Nicholson and with me is co-host Dr. Chris Wells. Hello Chris. Hello Emma. How are you? I'm great
1: today. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> Definitely not at great level, but I can't complain. It's great to be back. It's been busy, I know. You yes. you've been doing a lot of conferences and different things. Yes, I'm just busy.
0: The podcast just adds to your workload, right?
1: (laughs) It does a little bit, but I have to say it's one of the most rewarding things I do. So I am, like I said, not complaining. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm glad that you enjoy the podcast because I really enjoy it as well. And we're going to talk today a little bit about podcasting with our guest Sophia
1: Elliott. That's right. Sophia was kind enough to have us on her podcast, which is called Our Gifted Kids, in spring 2022, and we're excited to have her here today.
0: Absolutely. So for our listeners, Sophia Elliott is a mum, podcaster, and avid student of all things related to giftedness. Sophia's career has spanned government, working with education policy, being in the arts, and in non-profit sectors helping vulnerable young people. But most notably for today's discussion, she is the host of the Our Gifted Kids podcast, where she interviews parents and experts about their gifted journey. Welcome to the podcast, Sophia.
2: Hello. I'm very excited to be here.
0: And Absolutely. it's good to have you here because because we were lucky enough to be on your podcast talking about neurodiversity. So it's good to have you um, and return the favour.
2: Yeah, I'm super excited to be here and catch up with you guys again. I was saying earlier, it feels like not that long ago, but then also so long ago. Uh, it's been such a another huge year. And so... Absolute delight to be catching up again, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
1: Thanks for joining us. It was so much fun to be on your podcast and to do it with Emma. You know, I have been on other people's podcasts alone, but it was a lot of fun to do it with you with her too, and to have that conversation of three of us. So, and I love that your the title was "Why You Need Dabrowski." I thought that was so cool of you. You know, to to put it out there like that. It was it was fun all around. So we. Almost always start off with asking people how they came to Dabrowski's theory, and so if you don't mind, we would love to hear how you came to the theory and overexcitability in your gifted journey.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I would have first come across Dabrowski probably about six or so years ago, in that first mad rush of research that you do as a parent when you, are, you know, facing that challenge with one of your kids. Uh, We were at a crisis point with our eldest. We were trying to figure out what was kind of going on and unpack that. We had the cognitive assessment, which was completely surreal. And being the person that I am, that led to a massive kind of deep dive dive into understanding all things gifted. And, of course, you know, DeBrowse comes up a lot there in terms of the overexcitabilities And that really helps, I think, to start to unpack some of those very common gifted traits. But I think for me where Dabrowski has really hit home has just been in the last couple of years in learning more and diving deeper into the actual theory of positive disintegration and understanding that those OEs are just part of a a much larger framework. And I guess being the kind of divergent thinker that I am, what really appealed to me about that is that someone was proposing a different way of looking at mental health. Uh, that was very different to our current kind of approach and perception. And I just love it when people pose things that are completely outside of, you know, our structured ways of thinking. That really gets me, um, that really hooks me very quickly. And so, so, yeah, so I think in terms of impact, it was actually you know, that kind of framework that really, I think, probably impacted me more personally in my own kind of journey around mental health and growth, uh, you know, as he kind of lays it it out with the different levels and, and sort of unpacking neurosis and psychoneurosis and all that kind of stuff. So... I think Dabrowski, you know, as I said in the podcast that we did, it's kind of like why you need Dabrowski. And I think it's wonderful not just to learn from his, his particular framework and what he's got to say, but also just as an opportunity to question the current norms uh, around anything, but especially around mental health. Um, and if, people, if all people take away from it is there are other ways of looking at this. I think that in itself is a huge gift. Um, But of course, Dabrowski offers so much more than that. He actually offers an alternative way of understanding and unpacking things, which I think help people to feel less broken and more like there's a point to it all. So I think, yeah, Dabrowski has a lot to offer and especially that kind of neurodivergent and gifted community because... We are so intense and sensitive and you know all those excitabilities that resonate for a reason. This is very much you know where we're at as a community. So uh, So I was absolutely thrilled to have you guys on the podcast and sort of start to open that door about um, positive disintegration uh, and Dabrowski a bit a bit more other than just you know OEs within that gifted, broader gifted conversation. So, yeah, it was an absolute delight. I was so excited when you came on. It was awesome.
0: Have you found, Sophia, that you know, there's sort of an interest in, you know, the, the gifted kids community about Dabowski's theory? And, you know, if so, you know working as a podcaster and, you know, the feedback that you get, you know, what are the parts that are sort of resonating with people the most?
2: I think the overexcitabilities are like a gateway Do you know, it's like the gateway drug into Dabrowski, so to speak. People resonate very strongly with those. And I think it helps people move from, you know, as a parent, you jump on Google, you get a book and they talk about all these gifted traits and... I think the connection people make is that the overexcitability is almost offer a framework in a way of organising and understanding those traits, even though that's not what it's about and for. I think that's kind of the steps people take. And I think it provides comfort to people because they're starting to see some of the things that they're in their lived experience mapped out in a framework somewhere. And so I think that's really comforting. But I think where the real... The real gold is, uh, is actually in those conversations with parents about our own journeys, where we kind of dive deeper into this idea around positive disintegration. Because as a parent, many of the parents that, you know, are within my community and that get in touch, are finding themselves in this place because they've been at crisis point with their their child or their children. They're, you know, inevitably very complex individuals themselves. And what we try to talk about on the podcast is not just our kids um, and parenting our kids, but also our journeys as parents. And so where I've got some really great feedback is when we talk about that journey as a parent, how difficult that is. And definitely, you know, when you guys were on, where we were explicitly talking about positive disintegration and and Dabrowski, there was certainly a lot of feedback uh, around that. And also, you know, when I was sort of talking about my journey of uh, being diagnosed, uh, gifted or assessed, gifted and autistic, and sharing that with people because, you know, I think the real magic comes in sharing your story so that other people can see themselves in your story in one way or another uh, and that offers people that opportunity to just feel seen and heard. So, yeah, I think that's probably probably the two points oh, of engagement that I see most of all.
0: It's not surprising that you say that, you know, overexcitability is like the gateway drug because I think that's been kind of the experience of a lot of people. And I think because it's it's almost like an instantaneous mirror, you look yeah. at it, it's like a five-minute read, and you read this list of, you know, the the traits and you just go bam that's me and it's like that instantaneous recognition whereas as you say the gold's in positive disintegration but that's longer to unpack mm. um it's almost like putting together ikea furniture and going oh okay so that's how that fits in with my life and that's how that fits in with my life and as you know you sort of alluded to like you can facilitate that a little bit better with storytelling um, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like when you get that IKEA furniture and you get that weird little piece of paper with the diagram with all the bits go together and you go, I don't know how to make sense of this. But then you go on a YouTube and watch someone else do it and explain how they did it. And you go, aha, now it kind of makes a bit more sense. So it's like that extra level of understanding that you kind of need to get it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's like the overexcitability is, you, you know, they're a bite-sized chunk. You get that instant recognition especially, you know, within the gifted community. But diving deeper into positive disintegration, it's almost like a next level of taboo. It requires people to talk about things that are challenging, you know, our mental health, um, our own personal journeys, like, you know, deep, dark journeys. Uh, and so that's, there. Are, I think there are a few op- opportunities or places where you can go to hear those stories uh, and fewer people willing to share them, uh, which is why I think it's, it's a really valuable thing to do is just gathering around and sharing our stories. And that was certainly the intent of the podcast, I Our Gifted Kids, was very much around recognising that general taboo of giftedness and feeling that very strong sense of justice <laughs> that it's kind of like, oh, this is not okay. But what we need people to understand, both other parents so that they can self-identify but also like positive policy makers and educators is the real impact of giftedness and the very oof, the very harsh reality uh, that families and and kids are going through uh, with giftedness Do you know like uh, and the the challenges around that are so, you know, they can be so potentially devastating and there can be so much harm and trauma done that we need to share that kind of lived experience so that, you know, decision makers and educators uh, can see that like, actually we really need to do something about this because this is making uh a big dent in, in children and families and to provide the opportunity for parents to recognize it. Uh, And and that's been a big part of my journey is uh, we are within unpacking the giftedness and being autistic. And more recently being diagnosed as ADHD uh, is that necessity of hearing someone else talk about their experience of it and being able to go, Oh, Oh, what? <laughs> Everyone doesn't do that? That's a thing? Right. Okay. Tell me more about that thing because that's what I do and I thought that was just fairly typical experience and now I'm learning that it's not a typical experience. So let's talk more about that. Yeah, I think
1: that's hugely important. Listening to you to talk about this. It's interesting. I had like an image in my mind. You know, I'm halfway through the fall conference season right now. And so I've done a few presentations already and it's been Great again to be like back in person doing presentations because the thing that I love most about presenting in person is getting that real time feedback from an audience and seeing people nodding their heads and just getting the, you know, the temperature of the room. And when I talk about overexcitability, it just blows me away to see the people in the room who are just so engaged with me. They're like, yes. But then you know, diving a little deeper and connecting it with the broader theory. That's where you really see people's curiosity. They want to know more. These are the people who come up at the end and they're like, wait a minute, Um, you know, where can I learn more about this? Sometimes there'll be people crying, you know, at the end. I didn't have that luckily this fall because I, you know, was talking more about overexcitability and neurodivergence in a different way. But I find that when I share and talk about my story, especially and connect it with what I've been through, I'm likely to have somebody come up at the end in tears and say, oh, my God, like, you've just held up a mirror for me. And this is a really powerful theory. And I have to say, like, I was muted. And so I laughed when you said that, you know, it's the gateway drug. I mean, the overexcitabilities, they totally are. One of the saddest things for me, you know, right now, dealing with still critics who are saying the theory is irrelevant, we shouldn't be talking about it anymore in Gifted Ed. I mean, (laughs) it's like... Okay, Um, have you actually read Dabrowski? Have you connected overexcitabilities with the theory they came from? Because I just have to believe that if the critics actually dove in and understood that there was so much more to what Dabrowski said, that it was an alternative framework, that perhaps they would be able to open their minds and see that, yeah, we've made some mistakes in the gifted ed field in its application or in the application of overexcitability but there's so much more than that.
0: I think you're spot on with that because what you've both talked about is yes you've got overexcitabilities and you could sort of take that out just talk to it as a standalone thing and that's all well and good but the real stuff that people need, you know, the non-pathologizing framework you know, talking about the deep, dark stuff and, you know, hearing stories f- from other people, that's the stuff people really need. And like Chris, when you're saying people like are almost in tears at presentations, like that they, they need that. They need that healing and they need that guide to sort of make sense of their, their pain. But it's not exactly stuff you stand around and talk about you know, around the water cooler at work, you know, you don't exactly go up to your colleagues in the tea room and ask them about, you know, so tell me about your dark night of the soul or, you know, what are your mental health issues? It's not something, it's a bit of a taboo, but it's the stuff that people really need because people are in, in pain.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like it is a massive taboo, but it is most definitely what everyone needs. I mean, let's face it, especially after the last few years with the pandemic. You know, like I was I was doing a bit of prep for this podcast because it's been a very busy month and the last few days I've been feeling quite sort of flooded and overwhelmed with, you know, just life in general. You know, and what Dabrowski has to offer is actually all of this, you know, our, our mental health responses, our anxiety, our depression, the existential crisis, whatever it might be, actually is a completely normal response to a world that is pretty freaking crazy. Do you know? Like, I think it's totally normal and acceptable for me to be horrified and have very intense uh, emotional responses to some of the stuff going on. And I think the question is, why isn't everyone? Not that, that this is some kind of taboo and I'm too sensitive and too emotional or intellectually ruminating too much my question is why isn't everyone and I think that's what I really love about Dabrowski it's just kind of like no these are normal responses to a world that's pretty bloody ugly sometimes and and let's not pathologize that let's just kind of go yeah you know what That's totally reasonable. Like one of the most empowering, um, or, you know, along my lifetime, those moments where I've felt most seen and empowered are the moments where someone has validated where I've been at. And it's kind of like, do you know what? Feeling very anxious right now is a very typical, healthy response to what you have just been through. The depression you're feeling is a very typical and reasonable response to the grief. And the experience that you've just had, or actually feeling like on the edge of existential crisis is probably a reasonable response to the state of the world at the moment, climate change, yada, yada, yada. And I don't know, I think if we could just instead of pathologizing these things, these states of being, can actually just validate and go yeah, that sucks, that's a reasonable way to feel about that thing and that's a reasonable response to that thing because that thing really, that's really difficult, that's really challenging. It's okay to feel emotional about it. And instead so often it's you're too sensitive, you're too emotional, you're too this, you're too that, you're too much. And so I think that's one of the great things about Dabrowski. And I'm often just really amazed that this guy thought in this way so long ago and you know it's a, it was a very kind of uh i think it feels very intuitive it feels very forward thinking very kind of modern way of looking at the world but this is from back in the beginning of the, the last century and I just often feel amazed that he came up with all this stuff at that period in time. But I guess it's, you know, very much a product of what he was going through as well. But, I don't know, I think a very incredibly useful framework and questioning for our kind of modern time when so much of our history has been about invalidating people's experiences, lived experiences. And I think we see that whether we're talking about race or gender or sexuality, or you're neurodivergent. It's just this never-ending kind of journey of invalidating someone's lived experience. And I don't know, I think that's something that Dabrowski has to offer us, uh, another way of validating those responses to those experiences.
0: Everything that you said sort of resonated with me because if you think about how people were treated in Dabrowski's time, like he obviously saw as you said, it was forward thinking, but what did we used to do with soldiers coming back from the war? Like just mm. stick them in their home life and say, you'll be all right. And yeah. they knew about shell shock, but there was no real services to kind of deal with it. And when you're talking about today and, you know, what's happened with COVID, i tell you one thing, that the news that trickles in from everywhere is that, they're now screening people younger for anxiety. Mm
1: -hmm. Mental
0: health services everywhere are saying, oh, we don't have enough support now. You know, even here in Australia, Lifeline sort of had record numbers of people calling them during COVID. Um, They've had, you know, the UK been saying, we've we've got a crisis with your mental health providers and the same things in, in America. Like, record numbers of people are presenting looking for emergency help with their mental health. Um, so that response that you say is normal, um, I think people are having it. Yeah. They must be because, you know, if all the services are saying, help, we can't, you know, service all these people, well, what does that tell you?
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. A very healthy, reasonable response to some really challenging and difficult
1: passages that we've been through as a global community. I just want to agree that Dabrowski really was a visionary. I mean, when you think about the fact that he was saying the things that he was saying, you know, in a time when his contemporaries were so pathologizing in the way that they talked about the same kinds of, well, I mean, now we call them types of neurodivergence, you know, and of course, he also dealt with, uh, you know, other kinds of what we would call mental illness, too. But but his framework was so different. His perspective was so different um, than anybody else in his time. It's, It's amazing to me. He really was a forerunner of the neurodiversity movement. I've said that a few times, you know, to people that I work with, like my colleagues. And in fact, I mean, it's on my mind because, like, just last night I was on the phone with Michael, and I was telling him that the place of overexcitability, why it's still relevant about the theory, and... That's where I keep coming back to, like he like what he was saying was so similar to what we're saying now in the neurodiversity movement in the twenty first century that it it blows my mind
2: yeah it it I just find it incredibly fascinating and and it very much is a movement, and some of the i think what has given me the biggest sense of Peace, possibly not quite the right word, uh, but I guess the deeper sense of resolve uh, over the last kind of couple of years is this idea that we are always just a moment in time. Uh, And it really hit home to me, uh, you know, when sort of trying to reconcile my own autistic self, uh, which very much came out of the blue uh, and there's a great book called Neurotribes. No doubt many people have read it. But what one of the gifts that that book gave me was this sense of the journey of understanding, and actually we're just at this point in time. We understand so much more than we did 100 years ago or 50 years ago or 20 years ago, but what will we understand of all this in another 20 or 50 years? It will be completely different. And And again, with giftedness, we were talking earlier, one of the hardest things about giftedness is this lack of a consensual definition of giftedness. And as a parent trying to dive deep into what is giftedness all about, why is this impacting my kids and my family, like so intensely and dramatically, it took a long time before I could kind of reconcile my own kind of personal definition and it wasn't because I kept going, okay, this trait's great, but why are there all of these traits? Why is it that giftedness, you know, people will share within this body of traits? There, there's got to be something behind that. And so nev- eventually I found the research by GROW, Gifted Research and Outreach, uh, which is an American charity, uh, and they've been working to consolidate sort of that gifted research body of gifted research and have some great kind of papers and information there about what that has said and where we're at with understanding the gifted brain. And so for me, this was like, this is the missing piece. We, we know it's about the brain. We talk around that, but giftedness is not accepted as a neurodivergent state the same way that autism or ADHD is understood to be neurodivergent and it is because it's all about the way the brain is wired and we're starting to see more research and papers talking about that and I the way I kind of unpacked that and understood that because if you go searching for gifted definitions you'll get a lot of definitions which I felt were very much based and came out of and centred around trying to make sense of giftedness within the educational realm. And I'm kind of very incredibly grateful for the gift, the educational sector for doing all of the research and trying to make sense of giftedness, because I feel as though it's the one sector who acknowledged its existence before truly understanding it. And if we think of giftedness as a neurodivergent state of being, well, it's holistic. It doesn't just affect you when you're at school. It's your entire life. So really what we need is psychologists to understand it. We need doctors to understand it. We need our workplaces to understand it. You know, it's that holistic view. But instead of having this kind of holistic definition, we've been trying to make sense of it in just this one area of life which is education and and within education of course inevitably you start talking about performance and you start talking about potential and talent and all of those things which makes sense within the gifted within that kind of educational sector and trying to make sense of it within that sector as an isolated space like as a silo so when I make sense of where we're at with giftedness, what I see and just like my personal views at, you know, in this moment at times is all that research and definitions that have come out of this very educationally focused silo without that broader consideration of it as a neurodivergence and the fact that it affects all areas of life. But those other areas have been slow to come on board with acknowledging and understanding um, do you know, and there's more and more psychologists out there and that get giftedness and get the impact that that will have on your life. Um, but I've never come across a GP who might have that awareness.
1: Yeah, if you don't mind me going back to like we were having a chat before we started recording the episode. And we were and I just I'm still thinking about how unfortunate it is that your perception is that here in the U.S. we have like a strong field in gifted education and, um, you know, that we're so ahead of where you are in Australia because you don't have a similar community like like we do here. And on the one hand, it's true that we do have a, a, you know, a number of people here in the U.S. and we do have a field of gifted education So I think it's really sad because from where I sit, I feel like they've really failed in their mission because we're moving further and further away from actually seeing people as gifted. There are a lot of scholars in the field of gifted education here in the U.S. who would be happy if we stopped labeling children as gifted altogether and, in fact, stop saying gifted child and only talk about advanced academics and only talk about what these kids do in the classroom. But like you just said Sophia, it's so far beyond serving people in the classroom that this is the point that gets missed. And and yet, you can't blame gifted ed to some degree because again, it's education. And so, of course, their focus is on educating. But the reality is that giftedness is a neurodivergent way of being and that this is a real individual difference that matters. And so I wonder when we're going to get away from the constant invalidation that we get from the very field that's supposed to be serving us. And I wonder how I'm going to be able to say these things that need to be said without, you know, making people feel like they've failed or coming off as an asshole. Because I, this is something that really keeps me up at night and really is upsetting for me, especially as a parent of a child who is gifted but is completely unserved by a field who doesn't give a shit about children who don't do well in the classroom or you know don't have gifted behaviors i just have to say that it's like it's extra heartbreaking to hear that it's it's worse there than it is here because it feels fucking terrible here
2: i think it it's very different you know it feels like in the u.s there's there is at least um a history over the last few decades of hubs of expertise where they've at least been looking at gifted gifted education and the community has been born out of that, even though the struggles are huge. And in Australia, there are places um, who, you know, are looking at gifted ed. It doesn't feel connected and it doesn't feel obviously as kind of Big or deep or you know as historic as the U.S. So yeah, very different. But like we said, neither are serving gifted kids well. And I you know I have a friend who works in the sort of mental health space, and we often talk about uh, you know because he he talks a lot about depathologizing uh, mental health, which is obviously what Dabrowski is all about. But I almost feel, as much as I absolutely agree with that perspective, I feel the challenge of giftedness is it's almost like we need some kind of acronym, you know, and a DSM definition and to pathologize it before it'll be taken seriously as a neurodivergent state of being and before the the deficits within that gifted profile will be seen or met in any way, because it's at the moment... It feels like the irony is you've got giftedness on one hand and all we want to look at are the strengths, that potential to learn quickly, that potential to learn beyond your years as as a child and just generally that potential. That's all people really want to look at or deal with. And if you're a gifted kid who doesn't perform, then according to that definition, you're not a gifted kid. And whereas on the other hand, we have neurodivergent states of being, you know, like ADHD, um, dyslexia, dyspraxia, you know, autism. And all we see is the deficit, um, which is not to make light of, you know, those very real challenges. But what we're, has been harder to see is that there are some strengths that come with those different kind of uh Neurotypes as well. And it's sort of like we need to balance it out. We need to see that everything has both, every neurotype has their strengths and has their challenges. Um, and that profile is going to look different. But where we kind of need to meet in the middle is let's provide children with the opportunity to build on their strengths while supporting their de- areas of deficit. But, but that strength based approach, um, because we're just losing kids left, right and center who don't who can't just sit in the middle in the box and the reality is our world needs these divergent ways of thinking uh, very much Do you know they're the cre you know ADHD is renowned for being a very creative thinker um, even dyslexia you know there's this wonderful story about the woman who came up with the ultrasound for identifying Down syndrome in fetuses, dyslexic. And actually it was the way her brain was wired, which enabled her to see the patterns. And so, um, and there's many autistic folk out there doing awesome things with the strengths and it's not, and I would never um, seek to invalidate the challenges associated with all of those things, but We've been too heavily focused on the challenges and not doing those people a service in terms of seeing them as whole people, I feel. And so with giftedness in the mix there, I applaud, you know, the ed sector and gifted ed for doing the best that they could, the best with the knowledge that they have yes, I feel like we're very much failing our gifted kids, but it's also being grateful for those people out there trying to do the work, trying to make the difference as well. And, and I, I truly don't think we're going to really make those big shifts until we look at these things in a different way, until we're looking at giftedness as, you know, that neurodivergent state of being, which means you're not always going to be the A plus kid. You might be the D kid who's fully disengaged. You're still gifted and you still need probably acceleration badly, (laughs) you know. And too often we make our gifted kids jump through hoops to prove their giftedness, prove their potential, prove their ability to perform before we will give them what they need to actually be in that place. Uh, And it's frustrating as hell. It's depressing as hell as a parent looking out at those sort of options and just fundamentally for me, it's like, it's not good enough. We're the adults in the room. We should be able to sit around at the table and nut this stuff out, come up with better solutions for our kids. You know, for a long time, uh, like many gifted people, I felt a huge sense of imposter syndrome about speaking and anyway having a voice in this kind of arena. You know, my decision to create the podcast was a very brave one. Uh, not only was I about to talk about a massive taboo giftedness out myself and my family as being a part of that community, but I, I don't have an education background. Um, I'm not an academic. And so it was very much that sense of why is my you know in vo- voice entitled to be a part of this conversation? But what I have realised over the years is it's exactly those things that... I think is what I have to offer this community and this conversation um, is just having a few people in the room who aren't entrenched within any particular silo that can kind of ask the questions, poke the beast, uh, and it's not that I, you know, am ever coming from a place of being right. For me, it's always about let's not focus on being right let's focus on getting it right and getting it right sometimes means we have to throw stuff out there work through it talk about it and see what comes of it when you know someone else adds their expertise and someone else adds their perspective and and at the end of the day you know in a year's time my my view may have changed completely with having learnt more and and stuff like that but um But for now, I think, I don't know, just desperately, we need to do better. Do you know, we were talking earlier about podcasts and I think why we need them and what are the biggest kind of feedback that we get. And for me, it's I get lots of comments and emails from parents. And often they'll be like, I've just found your podcast and I've binged on it. I'm listening to them all and I was listening to this one and I was crying and thank you. I, I feel seen. It's making sense. And so I think we do need to kind of be brave and share those stories. And we do need to be brave enough to question like Dabrowski did and kind of say, well, is the structure, is the mindset, is the perspective we have right now the only one available to us? Uh, how can we improve that? How can we look at that in a different way?
1: You reminded me, Sophia, that there are dark sides to overexcitability, there are real challenges to it. And one of the things that has been a disservice to the way that overexcitability has been talked about in the gifted field is that it's been, well, as as my colleague Frank Falk would say, it's been overly sanitized, you know, All of the darkness of overexcitability was taken out of it when it was brought to Gifted Ed. And that's because that's legitimately how Michael sees it. (laughs) He does not see a dark side. I have known this man for years and he just will not say that there's any... Problem with being over excitability, that there's anything negative about it. And so Michael's own bias, you know, and I love him, right? Like, I am not trying to be critical or, you know, mean, but this is just who he is. And this has created a problem because we haven't had the full picture of it and how it looks in gifted kids if we're only looking at the positives in it. And like, when people, I've had people challenge me and say, you know, you talk about the connections between overexcitability and autism, or ADHD. Well, we haven't seen enough evidence of that in the literature in gifted ed. And I'm like, well, you're never going to see that evidence that you're looking for because if we're only look, if overexcitability only exists in the words that Michael Bihovsky gave to it, then we're never going to see it because he doesn't see that. And yet, even in his sanitized version of overexcitability. I'm able to take the OEQ2, you know, the instrument we use to measure it right now. Yeah. And I'm able to see strong correlations between psychomotor and psychomotor overexcitability and like, um, you know, hyperactivity on a behavior checklist and, you know, impulsivity. And we're able to see really strong connections between imaginational overexcitability and inattention in ADHD. And so, and we just know from the lived experience of those of us who identify as neurodivergent, that these connections are there. And so like, I don't know, I just wanted to throw all of this out there that I agree completely with what you were saying. And I think it has been so brave of you to do the work that you're doing. And now we understand that too. Like, you know, it takes some guts to come out and talk about these things, but I know that it's so worth it. And I know that you know it too, because anybody who does podcast gets feedback and people are grateful to have it out there.
0: That, that whole thing about, you know, there's no dark side to overexcitability. Some of the first videos I did on YouTube were a bunch of ones about my lived experience with it and all the challenges that I'd had and how I'd try to mitigate those challenges. So I did a bunch of videos on each of the five overexcitabilities and here's the issues that I face and how I try and deal with them in my life. So I think that's, that's, It's rubbish to say there's only a light side. But I think this is what both of you are alluding to is part of the magic about, you know, sharing stories and having podcasts like this is we've got to talk about both the positive and the negative. Uh, As Sophia said, you know, we can't just focus focus on the strengths of giftedness and treat it as it's like the anti-matter of neurodivergence. Like everything else has challenges and, uh, you know, giftedness you know, is this wonderful, shiny thing, but it's not, it, it's all sort of a gray area. And it comes back to that way Dabrowski thought about it to say, look, everything's got ups and downs. Just see it as difference, as a different way of viewing the world, as a different way of interacting with the world as a a different thing. And I think by us doing what we're doing right now and sucking it up and being brave and putting all our cards on the table, all our faults and flaws as well, that helps people see it through that lens of well, hey, maybe this is okay, and I'm not actually broken, and I think that's that's part of the gift that we're we're giving to people, even though for us you know Sophia, you said you you're outing yourself and your family you' know, you're spilling all your secrets, and you know I've talked to Chris about your know, the bravery it takes to to not only tell people that you have a closet, but to open it wide and go, hey everybody, come and see all my skeletons inside and, exactly. you know, parade them out for everybody. But I, I think, you know, what you were alluding to with the feedback is that's why we do it, because yeah. those emails that we get back and the feedback that we get back from people saying, you know, I binged your podcast, I cried, it really resonated with me, it helped somewhat. And I think that's how we help is by like laying both the good and the ugly out on the table and say here it all is.
2: Cuz the irony of course of all that with giftedness is you know, there's this unhealthy focus on the strengths of giftedness, but it's actually taboo to share those. So Do you know, as a parent, you can't actually with amongst other parents or family or the school gate or anywhere really, talk openly about your children when they're excelling in those strength areas. I mean, how many, you just need to go on Facebook into a group of parents of gifted kids and see all the posts that are like, oh, I just needed to share this somewhere. I know that you guys will understand and not like get all weird oh, yeah. with me, but my kid just did this amazing thing and I just want to celebrate that somewhere. So it's this irony of we focus on the strengths but we can't actually celebrate the strengths because, oh, you know, they're largely not
0: here in Australia. No, right? Particularly not in Australia. Tall poppy yeah. syndrome, we know about that, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Like i am literally at the moment using as a mouse pad, just because I haven't quite finished the book, that book by Jen Merrill called If This Is A Gift, Can I Send It Back?, And that is a very classic sentiment of many parents of gifted kids, which highlights the struggles and the challenge behind it. And, yeah, and I just feel very strongly that we need this sense of balance. It's kind of like everyone just needs to take a deep breath and a step back and kind of go, we have this big bucket of neurodivergence. That in itself is complex and, you know, there are are different conversations within that. There's nothing easy about any of this stuff. But can we not, within the educational sector, just acknowledge that there are certain kids who will fit in the box, and there are certain kids who will not fit in the box, but all of them deserve an education appropriate to their needs. And at the moment, if you happen to be one of those kids that doesn't fit in the box, but also demonstrates a capacity to learn Beyond the years of your same age peers, your needs are not met. And that's the reality. Like there is so much research and there is so much uh, benchmarking around gifted ed. There's so many things we can do. It's like uh, you know, like the last sort of, I don't know, it feels like a long time, I guess four years for maybe five now. Uh, I've been heavily involved with my kids' school. Uh, which is a school for gifted kids. And we're like, it's incredibly beyond fortunate to have that on our doorstep here in Adelaide. And what that has shown me that experience is, first of all, there there are people out there within schools who want to learn and would like to meet the needs of these kids. But it's just kind of like, They don't know where to turn. We're not training them at universities. They don't know that this is a thing. So this brick wall that parents and children hit themselves against so often, you know, starts with just this complete lack of knowledge and lack of resources. So there is so much that we could do about that, which is very possible, very plausible. And we're just, we're really not doing that effectively. And it just feels like, as the grown-ups in the room, we're really letting our kids down.
1: I'm so glad that you brought up Jen Merrill. So Jen Merrill and her book, I mean, so important to my story. I already talked about it in the episode. We had Celie Trepanier on our um, podcast, and, you know, she I met her and Jen around the same time in 2015, and I had heard the term 2E before, but, you know, it just, if you have a kid, like you said, if you have a kid who doesn't fit in the box, it's it causes a lot of stress you know and it devastating yeah it's so devastating and you just feel every day like you're failing your kid and you're like oh my god and so Jen's humor in her laughing at chaos blog getting to see her you know first observe her on twitter on gt chat you know with shout out to lisa conrad shout out to everybody who you know is a parent and gets it and is trying to help other parents um I see a lot of disrespect from academics and gifted ed toward parents and I think that this is one of the most shameful things about this field is how the disrespect to toward parents who you know are tasked with raising these kids who you know on one hand have so much potential right like you said all that on all the pressure and baggage that goes with that And yet they have these challenges that make it so hard to actualize that potential and even have a basic education. My kid has been so failed by the educational system and we're failing him too because he doesn't fit in the box and he like he is just like creating his own path and it's the most difficult thing. And I know because he's so much like me, like I had this brutal underachievement, you know, that was really devastating and almost killed me. And so to see that like play out again in my own child has been so hard. So you know, I don't know what I would have done without her and all of the friends that I've made in the gifted world.
2: That's the truth of it. It's the pain as a parent, seeing your child struggle, knowing that struggle because it was your struggle as well, but feeling powerless to do something about that. And so it's like every time that parent goes to that school to try and advocate for their kid, it's that sense of powerlessness because it's kind of like I need the school on board, I need the teachers on board. But for most teachers in most schools, they just don't get it. It's just incredibly devastating for parents. And so I, you know, I think that's why we need to have these conversations and we need podcasts and telling stories. And when I first started the podcast... I was largely talking to parents, sharing stories of, you know, the whole kind of how did you figure it out kind of, you know, story. And and I still do those from time to time because I think they're incredibly important. Um, And I would agree there's a real sense of dismissiveness and invalidation about parents, the role they play, the knowledge they have, the reality that they're at the coalface, too easy teachers in schools will dismiss what parents are saying, you know, and that's surely the first red flag is when a parent is saying, well, at home I experienced this and the school says that, well, at school they're fine. That should be the biggest red flag to everyone, you know, like something's not right. And, yeah, and you get that a lot from from parents. It's just a very consistent uh, lived experience and it's it's just kind of like you know we can do better we can we can totally do better than this and i couldn't do this if i didn't have a sense of hope like it's been a very doom and gloom kind of conversation and i think that's necessary sometimes just to kind of get real and feel the gravity like of the the impact this is having on the lives of kids and families and the future of those kids as they carry that trauma and baggage through the, with them through their life but at the same time if we don't have some hope then you know it's like mark smolowitz has been saying recently with gift Talented talent and neurodiversity awareness week you've got the three legs of his stool i think one is joy empowerment and trauma and it's kind of like and i i love that analogy and i and it's if we don't have some hope and joy and we can't feel empowered. We're just going to dwell and sink into the trauma, which is very real. And so, uh, you know, I'm just trying to do my bit to bring people together um, and get those conversations to cross the lines of academic to parent and parent to academic or policymaker or educator. And so I like, we all need to be in a room because There's no shortage of research out there that will tell us what we need to know. We know this stuff. We're just not doing anything about it. And so we need to translate that knowledge into action. And we can do that. It's within our power. We just need to get everyone at a table, get rid of the myths and the misunderstanding, see this kind of for what it is, which I personally believe is that neurodivergent state of being and not kind of siloed off into, you know, is it just a talent or performance? And I, I, and I don't mean in any way to be dismissive of all of that research and that energy and time that has gone to making sense of it within the education sector, but it needs to come out of that sector into the rest of the world and into the rest of our lives. Um, and it needs to be made sense of in that broader world and in and, and all those different facets of our lives. Um, and I think that's our next challenge. And you know, we can do this. I believe it. I have to believe it. We can totally do this. And and where we are at in this movement, in this journey, is I think hopefully we're starting to have some of those conversations now that we're talking about it more as a, as a neurodivergent state of being. And hopefully that conversation will lead us to where we need to go over the next. 10 or 20 years, but it's kind of like in the meantime, how can we minimise the damage that's being done to all those kids in schools whose needs are not just not getting met, but they're experiencing real trauma? It's sort of like we need to have this conversation more quickly. (laughs) Please.
0: And and it all comes back down to storytelling and and sharing because you talked about ARC and we had a conversation with him around the importance of storytelling in mm-hmm. you know, how it breaks down stereotypes and it yeah. builds community. And it more importantly, it helps people feel like they are not alone. Yeah. You know, Chris, you just said something about feeling like you failed. I don't think that's true at all. And part of the reason is because you're not the only one. Like, How can we consider someone a failure when everybody's having, like a lot of people are having a similar experience? It means the system's failed or society's failed or something else has failed. It's not a, an individual failure. And the more that we talk about these things and the more that we share our experiences and the more that we bring these things to light, we're going to take that, that stigma away. We're going to take stereotypes away. We're going to smash down those, you know, perceptions of, you know, perf- perfection that we're supposed to live up to. And and a lot of problems get solved simply by allowing people space to say, here's my journey, here's what it's meant to me, um, and allowing people to connect on that basis and understand that they're not
1: alone. Well, I think that it just feels like failure sometimes because, well, for one thing, because I'm, I feel like I'm trying and I'm not you know, connecting. And that's the thing. It's like, I know that I'm not where I need to be with Jack. And this is good. Like, these are the dynamisms in action, what I'm trying to describe with him. Like, I recognize that he needs more than he's getting right now. I'm not an optimal parent, because I'm so consumed with my work. And it's really clear to me, it's interesting, that I can see why so few women have, you know, been seen as great in history compared to men because it's hard to put in the hours and work that you need to do to achieve eminence in our society and have a child and like do well by them you know it's if I could be a worse parent for sure I know that we're not failing him with him because I'm so aware of it you know I I, I've tried so hard to do better for him that's working you know I mean I'm not worried for him in his future I know that he'll be okay because he will but like it's hard because I know that he needs more than I'm giving him you know and he doesn't go to school and so he doesn't have like the relationships that I had with adults and kids my own age when I was a kid like he's so isolated because he's homeschooled and because he has a parent who's like working all the time so it's just a challenge. But this has been such an an important conversation. I have to tell you that when you guys were talking, I was thinking, and this is why Dabrowski's theory is important. The Dabrowski Center is meant to be a place to help build community, you know? I mean, that's really one of our main objectives. It's interesting because we started this nonprofit around the theory, and, like, we're not selling a product, you know? (laughs) Like, we're just trying to bring people together and share this theory and improve things and start reaching providers like doctors and, you know, therapists and teach them about what it means to be gifted and what positive disintegration means and present them with this alternative framework. And we want adults to be able to reach out to us and say, oh, thank you for holding up a mirror for us. What do we do now? And have answers for them. Like, that's the whole point of the center. And so, of course, I do believe that there's hope, but it's only hopeful right now because we're creating this and you too Sophia I mean you're creating a community you're helping these people you're bringing these important topics out into the world and talking about them courageously like this is it's important work I'll be honest
2: and say it helps me to do these podcasts if I don't consider the fact that people are listening to them. <laughs> huh. It's kinda of like I just kinda of like I'm just gonna pretend it's just me talking to a person and then when I get like feedback and stuff, I'm like, oh, someone listened <laughs> you know, I try and disconnect it all <laughs> um to help get through, but uh in a good way. Uh because it, it is kind of tricky but really important and thank you for those comments, but it's like, um, it's just such a big journey. And I just, I guess I wanted to say, you know, as a, as a parent, I don't think you can be a parent of a gifted or neurodivergent kid without feeling like an absolute failure from time to time, or at least some of the time, or, you know, like, because it's such a difficult place to parent in. It's because like the world is set up in a particular way and you don't fit any of that. It's it's schooling is hard, like beyond hard, like you know, traumatic, e- easily. Uh, it's you can't even go to dinner because of the expectations of sitting at a table, <laughs> Do you know. And it's kind of like the, the world isn't set up for us to engage with it easily, and so it's it's so easy to cross that line of feeling like a crap parent, and then add on to that, like you said, just. Being a parent, but also having to work and do other things in your life. Or just being a parent and having to deal with your own shit that's going on. Uh, and these are things that I struggle with all the time. And I try to be very real because, God, I don't want anyone thinking that I've got this nailed because I so haven't. I do my best. Like One thing I can say is, God knows, I try my absolute and I push myself and I'm always questioning, uh, you know, trying to do that in a healthy way. But, do you know, like I have had, especially in the last couple of years, I've had my own very positive disintegration, but it was a very messy disintegration and it's been positive. But like you say, it still hurts. Uh, and I've had to reconcile a complete shift in identity from thinking I was just a normal person or a typical person. I don't like the word normal but typical. and now kind of a couple of years later I am gifted, I am autistic about ADHD and I' got to say the whole PDA internalized PDA thing resonates really strongly with me and it's kind of like coming to terms with putting myself back together with a whole other identity and I think a lot of parents, of gifted and neurodivergent kids go through that journey as well. Those of us who didn't have that insight or diagnosis as kids and are getting that late in life. It's only when our kids get diagnosed or are struggling with them, then it's kind of like, oh, that resonates with me and you go on this journey. And so I guess the other thing that I try to do is just kind of share the messiness of that and the reality of that. It's... And it's not easy to go through that process um, as a person, let alone trying to parent complex individuals at the same time who are having all sorts of various struggles with the external world, let alone the internal world, their own inner self. So it's really bloody hard. It's really bloody messy. And I guess I'm kind of happy to share those parts of my journey because I feel so strongly about that sense of, sharing our stories. And and my kind of being able to consolidate those things and bring them together has been very much because I have been able to meet other neurodivergent people, uh, like therapists, and I have been able to mirror myself. So I've been able to see myself in them. And so I feel if if I can share that process and that story with people, then they might also see themselves in my story and that might help them to make sense of things. You know, we talk about it a lot in terms of giftedness, but also autism, but any kind of neurodivergence. It's that kind of masking and camouflaging and making yourself smaller or making yourself fit into the world around you. You know, I did that so much, you know, I was masking to myself as well. So that really led to a very massive disintegration on my self-identity that I had to rebuild. And so I think it's worth just being honest about how messy that is. And and if you're a parent listening and you cracks have started to form in your sense of self because of that journey that you're going on with your kids, I think I just want to say to people, you're not alone in that. There's a lot more people and parents going through that journey than you realise. And it's good for us to share that reality because you know I'm thinking of a Star Wars line because we watched Star Wars on the weekend and it's kind of like they win by making you think you're alone <laughs> um, but but that's it you know it's kind of like we, we need to know that we're not alone and that we are together in this and and it's a very like Dabrowski says this is a very normal response
0: to to how you're feeling that is part of the beauty of this sort of space Um, It's the beauty of talking about Dabrowski. It's the beauty of being in these podcasts like this. We were talking before we started recording about how often I say the word fuck. Um, But it's nice to be in a a space where I can do that and I can unmask and show that messiness and that roughness um, as well as the good things. So I think this is really the, the work that all of us are doing and even engaging this conversation now the beauty of that is not just that we're helping we're helping by moving into that space where we can feel like we can be ourselves and be authentic and take those masks off even if it's only for one hour
1: agreed oh my gosh this was such a good episode thanks so much for joining us sophia and I don't know, I like the only last thought I have is that I want to give a shout out to all of my friends in the gifted community and the people in my study group. I just feel really blessed to have such a strong community around me, and this is what we need to keep building. What did you say, Sophia, about they they've gotten you when they make you feel alone? What was that Star Wars yeah, line? Cl- yeah, it's a classic Star Wars line they win when when they make you feel like you're alone. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what we're trying to do. You know, I mean, I think that's the most important thing with these podcasts is that we're helping people feel less alone, and we need to just keep building on that and creating community. I think that that's the thing that's going to help us overcome some of the challenges that we've talked about in this episode. You know, this is the solution is to come together in community and change things like we obviously cannot stay with what is we have got to move to what ought to be and, you know, head in that direction. And the time is now. And I think that we're doing it. So thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really lovely to talk to you guys uh, about Dabrowski and, and all things and. Yeah, just an absolute joy to be on the podcast today and have that conversation. Uh, and, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it's all about community, coming together and being there for each other and being seen and being heard. Uh, and that certainly was um, a big part of our mission, our gifted kids is creating that that space for people. Um, and so thank you guys for the work that you do. Like, I just think it's hugely important. I'm always sharing the podcast and referring it on to people because I just think these conversations are are so important and helpful. So thanks.
0: Thank you. It's been a fantastic conversation. And thanks Chris as well. Always a pleasure. Always. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, we always appreciate you coming and joining us on the podcast. And if you want to check out Sophia's podcast, look for our gifted kids. And Remember that you are never alone. The Positive Disintegration Podcast is funded by the Dabrowski Centre. If you like what you've heard, please consider donating through the link in the show notes. And if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, give us a rating or leave a review. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email positivedisintegration.pod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter or Instagram. And until next time... Keep walking the path to your authentic self.